survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 18 and in this edition we return to the Baker Estate to find our missing significant others as we celebrate the third anniversary of the release of Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. My name is Sinyak, you can call me Sai, and joining me on the panel this week, are you paying attention? You're about to Steve something wonderful. It's Fire Button Steve Valance. Hello everybody. If you thought Marguerite Baker's recipes were particularly unique, then you haven't met the person who puts peas in their spaghetti bolognese. It's Moist Owlet, aka James. <laughs> what? Hello! <laughs> and after going MIA over the Christmas period, we realised we'd accidentally locked him in the attic when getting the Christmas decorations out. Our device, check for mould. It's Cereal Box 64, Jordan Sugru. Hello, folks. This episode of the podcast, like all others, was recorded live in our Discord server. Join now to hear the podcast early and unedited, as well as engage with our community, contribute to the show and other upcoming projects, and be informed first of everything going on behind the scenes. You can find a link to the server in the description of this podcast or on our social media accounts. This is going to be quite a bulky episode. We've got a big discussion with Resident Evil 7 as the main subject. We've got quite a lot of news to get to as well as since it's been a little bit of a while since we had an actual episode. But before we get to all of that, you'll have to bear with me rambling through some first aid spray housekeeping. If you follow us on social media, you'll have seen most of this, but needs to be kind of put on record on the podcast for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter and the like. Uh, so I'll try and make this as succinct as possible. You can now support the show on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod. Uh, it's a great way to contribute to the show. And as most of you will know, this is a passion project first and foremost. I mean, it's basically like a second full-time job for me, but it is a passion project. We haven't seen any return, whereas we've been putting money into the show because contrary to popular belief, and I can understand why, podcasting isn't a free hobby. You need to pay for hosting fees and stuff like that. So we're very much out of pocket by this point. So it's our time to turn around and kind of ask you guys for some help. And hopefully in return, we can deliver some great new content to you as well. So I'm going to break down what exactly our Patreon consists of. It's broken up into three tiers. For $1 a month, you can get on the zombie tier, just one solitary dollar, and that gets you your name shouted out on the next podcast. And also you'll be contributing to that overall backer number, which is really rather important. Every time we hit a certain number, we've set ourselves some goals. Every time we do that, we're going to put up a new poll for people to vote on. So if you donate $3 a month, you become a hunter and you can see and vote on these polls. And the winner of these polls will go on to have a whole episode made about that particular subject. It's kind of spawned off from our Dino Crisis episode last season, looking at stuff just outside of Resident Evil and kind of letting the ball roll in that direction. So to start us off, for example, the first poll was between Devil May Cry 1, which obviously started off as Resident Evil 4, Castlevania as a franchise, which we talked a lot about over the show's first year, and Dino Crisis 2, a natural follow-on, which actually won. Thanks to you guys voting on the poll, you picked Dino Crisis 2 as our first bonus episode. So if you're a hunter, you get to make the decision on what that content is going to be. That's $3 a month. For a slightly more, $5 a month, you get the Tyrant tier, and uh, you get everything I just spoke about previously. You'll get to hear these bonus episodes a 
month before everyone else. And as with all tiers, you'll get yourself a special Discord server role in our Discord server, so that's Zombie, Hunter, or Tyrant. And the Tyrant role lets you into a special room called the Stars Office. And in here, you'll get all other kinds of information like what's coming up, some behind the scenes chatter in terms of the podcast and the videos. You'll get video links early before they go out to everyone else. And like I say, the bonus episodes will be yours a whole month before anyone else. So if you are interested in supporting the show and helping create more content, just $1 a month just makes that number creep up. And just to put it out there, uh, five patrons we put up a poll, at 10 we put up a poll, so it's pretty obvious where we're going with this. So if a few more jump on, you'll be seeing another poll going up very, very soon indeed. So that's our Patreon. If you're interested in having a look at those tiers kind of laid out before you, the website's really handy for it. It's patreon.com forward slash Pod. There's a video on there as well. So uh, yeah, take a look and consider supporting the show if you're a fan. Okay, before we go any further, let's thank the first wave of Patreons from this sort of first few weeks of having it up. It's been a pretty successful few weeks, so thank you to Andrew Farmy, thank you to Dimitri Awesometh, thank you to Drizzle, thank you to James Hollifield Steinman, thank you to Carla Jabberly, thank you to Michael Early, thank you to Tabitha Dreadful, thank you to our own Adam Reeves, thank you to Taylor Bartlett, and thank you to James Fake. You're all making a difference. Moving on from that, we've been quite busy over the holiday period. I know we haven't actually put out a podcast, but our YouTube has been rife with stuff. So check out some of the videos. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube, hit up the link in the description of this podcast because we've got lots of stuff coming up as well. I won't necessarily go through everything we've done, but it's a mix of stuff with a whole bunch of cool stuff on the horizon. A lot of it is actually written by people from our Discord server as well, which is really neat. And if you are a creative person with some ideas that you'd like to see in video form, perhaps consider joining the Discord. And uh, yeah, let's see what we can do. Let's let's create some cool stuff together. And the final bit of housekeeping, just a very small note, you can now find Adam on Twitter. It finally happened. You can find him at advickers01, where he's sort of like role-playing a Brad Vickers, but it's him. It's very strange, but please do go give him some love. That's the housekeeping out of the way. Uh, let's move into the news. Okay, so our first bit of news then. Capcom have basically released a new trailer for the Resident Evil remake, mostly focusing on the titular character Nemesis. What do we think, guys? Yeah, this one got everyone pretty excited indeed. Got a a good look at Nemesis, like you say, and some of the other characters. And yeah, man, it's weird to think that as of the time of recording, we're about two months out from the game at this point. Um, Jordan, I'd like you to pipe up first since you haven't actually had your chance to speak about Remake 3. What do you think about the, the two trailers, specifically the most recent one as well? Yeah, yeah, I was actually watching the most recent trailer again just before the podcast. Um, it really has crept up. It's it's weird because we have been talking about it for a year. In fact, at the very beginning of this podcast, we had no idea when it might show up. Um, more or less, we didn't even know how it was going to show up, like what kind of game it was going to mm-hmm. be. But here it is. And um, obviously, save a little bit longer as far as sort of production goes. It's, it's pretty much ready. Um now, I, I obviously, I, I didn't really play Resident Evil 3 growing up, so I don't really have that kind of affinity to it. So I think for a lot of other people who have played that game, they're going to watch that trailer. They're going to see all those famous moments that they remember. Um, I don't have that connection, but it looks great. And it's it's such a different flavor to it um, compared to Resident Evil 2. So much action, you know, just within the trailer. 
Um, as far as some of the visuals, are we are we going to talk about like the designs of the characters or the presentation please, of the characters? Please do, because I know you've got a hot take. So, um, <laughs> first first of all, I will say, um, Jill looks fantastic. I, I really love the the the, the model. I, I don't know if it's based on um, the actress playing her, but Jill looks great in this game. Um, probably my favorite look for her. You know, throughout the series, um, as far as some of the other characters, I, I'm as again not as familiar with them. Um, you know, I mean, my knowledge of Carlos goes as far as <laughs> the guy who was in the Mummy played him in the third <laughs> Resident Evil film. So, yeah, <laughs> was he in the Mummy really? Yeah, fair, yeah, yeah, I'm dead fair, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. He was better in that as well. <laughs> He was also a Deuce Bigelow, if you have to know. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, my I have a I have a small bone of contention with the Nemesis design. Um, it's one of those things that I, I personally think shouldn't be changed that radically because they nailed it. Like from the get go, he was terrifying, and I always remember the 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 renders the um original paintings he just he looked so uh, demonic and scary and and also most of the time you weren't seeing him um entirely like in renders he was obscured by shadow and and obviously you spent the game running away from him um in the trailer it's very upfront um he's kind of he's so prevalent that it kind of takes away from that a bit. Um, I, I think obviously with Mr. X, they, they did a bit of a redesign with him uh, for the remake, and I think it came out great. Um, but I think that's because Mr. X could do with that extra dimension to him. I don't think that's the case with Nemesis. There's just certain little things. You know, the face is different. Um, I don't but, know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's the second episode in a row that that joke has been made. <laughs> It's for me, I mean, I'm going to call out for me, not so sure about the caution stickers at this point, but the rest of it I can deal with. I, yeah, but those but, caution stickers have a story, don't they? They um, do, yeah. They're like connected to the promo material for RE3 in Japan. I kind of like them, but carry on, Jordan, sorry. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's all right, but it is it is kind of strange. I suppose, I suppose if you've got some background to it, it makes sense. But yeah, when I saw the caution stickers emblazoned all over his jacket... I just thought that he might, he might have a tattoo on his chest that says damaged or something like that. <laughs> oh, um, I, I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll take me some time to kind of warm to it. And besides, I'm going to have a whole game where I'm running away from this guy. So I'm sure they will come up with ways to make this nemesis terrifying to me. But at the moment, I'm just kind of looking at it. It's kind of like, okay, it's nemesis. But I don't know why I feel so strongly about it in this case because nemesis has shown up in other games i mean uh nemesis was in marvel vs. capcom great great design kept the same design as before um looked great but then i see him in this Mm. this remake and i'm kind of a bit maybe it's maybe it's just because with remakes you have a certain expectation for a lot of people they might have been dreaming up these games for years so you have expectations that are unrealistic and maybe a little bit too precious. So that might just be me. I might just be a little bit prickly about this. 
I can't really um, I can't really fault you any of that because as most people know my reaction to the tyrant redesign in RE2 wasn't particularly <laughs> wasn't particularly happy um, <laughs> but I can see definitely see where you're coming from yeah for sure just to throw a question back at the host how do you feel about tyrant now post memes and all the rest of it are you, are you a bit better with him or uh, yeah, I think I've just sort of settled on it. It's fine. It is what it is. It doesn't like, yeah, I, I don't get the, the prickles about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, um, I didn't I, realize you, you had a problem with Mr. X. It's the hat. The hat makes no sense. I oh, don't like the hat. Um, but that's fine. And here's the thing, right? The hat, you shoot the hat, the hat comes off. It's whatever we get on with it. Nemesis, the, the stupid caution stickers, they're on the carbon fiber or, or dustbin liner coat thing that comes off boom we're good like in a lot of the <laughs> trailer it, that doesn't seem like it's going to be a thing for very long he looks like he's going to be like hulking shirtless nemesis for for a good amount of the game so that should be fine mm. if, if you took mr x's hat and you put it on the new nemesis he'd look like the undertaker <laughs> <laughs> steve right. how do you feel about the nemesis trailer uh right the latest one i'm kind of uh, uh... This is going to be weird, but I feel like this is going to be a lot more set PC. Like, I mean, they've, they've already kind of said it's more of an action game, and it just feels like this is just a here's some highlight hype moments from the game that you're going to be thrown against. I, I, I hope it's not every encounter or significant. It, it, I mean, it could be on the rug from under us and being mostly early game stuff. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I don't want to say ambivalent, but I'm kind of nervously just. Ex- Expecting to see, like, you know, that hopefully it goes somewhere a bit more than this. Because I don't want to just be Nemesis appears, he's an unstoppable wall, you mm. run away, you know? Um, because while it's it's great to build him up and make him intimidating, part of the challenge of RE3 is first time through, you, you run away from him. Second time, you try and fight back and you get something from it. I, I, I want that to be an option. I don't want it to be just, here's a set piece where you have to run away, like um, in RE6 with Ustanak and stuff like that. That's the that's I've got a bit of a worry about that right now. Yeah, that's understandable. Actually, I hadn't necessarily thought about that. Hey, you can pick things up off of his body like the original game. I actually mm. would be surprised if that was a thing. Uh, and agreeing with Nick Swain in our podcast chat right now, um, I also have fears that it might be kind of more scripted than we were hoping. There's definitely things in that trailer that look like it's always going to happen in certain areas. But again, it's hard to tell with a trailer because we haven't really seen. I mean, we haven't seen any live gameplay particularly, so... It's in like, what, about 30 seconds? Yeah, exactly, right. I'll play Mm. a bit of Devil's Advocate, um, but I understand the concerns that there there could be more, uh, you know, set pieces and stuff. But I would say that, like, probably the the most poorly received part of the remake 2 was the sewer sequence where you were running away from the giant crocodile. Um, and if they've taken any of that feedback on board, I would mm. imagine that they're kind of straying from that, that they try and get away from the idea of maybe just running away from something. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying as a counterpoint, hopefully they don't, um, go the kind of route of doing set pieces and stuff. And, you know, they've taken, they've taken what succeeded in remake two on board and what didn't quite sit so well. They've said, "Okay, let's let's try and skirt past that." So mm. I'm holding out hope that it isn't it, it isn't like that, but it, it's it's fair concerns to raise. 
Yeah, and mm. just to piggyback off that slightly, like we don't need to necessarily get knee deep in the rumors. We've got some coming up anyway. But apparently, uh, Remake 3 was meant to launch alongside Remake 2, um, but they split it up basically uh, just to focus on one and get a game out and then come back to the other. And hopefully, yeah, they've in that extra year they've had to tweak it. Um, hopefully, they've taken a lot of the feedback from the Resident Evil 2 remake on board, perhaps. James, how do you feel about this second trailer? Um, I love it, but let's all put our moist hats on of lore, okay? <laughs> right, which means it's made up, guys, just so you know, right? I want to know how Albert Wesker got whatever Nemesis is wearing off him in Resident Evil 5 and wore it as a suit. <laughs> I want to know how that happened. <laughs> but also, yeah, swept also, in and picked up. Exactly. Also, as a counterpoint, um, to the stickers, he's brand new. What you know, you always get. You know, when you get new things, they always come with new stickers. You know, how, so... how often do you buy stuff that's caution and warning labels all over it and radioactive symbols? I, I mean, have you ever bought? Yeah, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to your nemesis unboxing on YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I I feel uh, I'm not going to be too critical about his design because. Just like the, I know I always uh, compare them, right? But um, I think it's right too. But with Alien Isolation, if you really have a look at the alien, it's not really that scary if you're just sitting there and looking at it. But while the thing's chasing you sure, and jumping yeah. out, and you know, you don't really get to see it. All you're going to see is a flash of yellow and black and a big grinning face before your head gets smashed in. <laughs> and that's all I care about in a, in a horror game. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm super excited, and yeah, I, as before when we spoke about this, I cannot wait to be killed by him over and over again with Steve. It's gonna be a long stream. <laughs> the with Steve part at the end is just perfect. Because <laughs> he he'll be carrying me, obviously. Well, I don't know actually. Because I mean, in in RE two, I think you were the first one yeah, to die, maybe, right? Maybe, that was maybe Steve wants to live. Why why are you dragging <laughs> Steve into this? <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> what? <laughs> so yeah, listeners, in case you're wondering, April third, we will be streaming. Okay, so that's yeah. We were promoting the part out of that, and apparently dying a lot in the game. Oh yeah, <laughs> part of the game. I, I, if we don't die, I'm deliberately just going to die. It's, I just want to die by him. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, yeah, that that's my opinion anyway. I'm really excited, super, super excited for, yeah. for it, and I think that uh, I, I'm not going to be too critical about the the design until I see it in game, in action, chasing. Yeah. All right. So our next piece of news then: Remake Two has now outsold the original PS1 version of Resident Evil Two. What do you think of that? I, uh, I had to put that little caveat at the end because the uh, the actual article from Forbes um, it's not very clear. Um, but it, it basically is just saying, hey, the Resident Evil 2 remake has surpassed the 1998 original. Um, but I don't think, and a lot of people have talked about this, and I'm not necessarily the expert on it, but I don't think that takes into account things like ports to other consoles, uh, potential digital downloads, that's where it gets more confusing, um, like the DualShock version in Japan probably doesn't count as well. But if you're talking about the actual core Resident Evil 2 for the PS1, uh, the original release, it has outsold that at the very least, um, which apparently 
puts uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake as Capcom's sixth best-selling game ever. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that basically means that you need to re-release the old one on modern systems in some Capcom, in some <laughs> Capcom right? Yeah, yeah. Put it yeah. on Steam. That'd be cool. Let that's... all the modders have a break. Absolutely. Oh, yes. All the fan games that could happen, taking that <laughs> apart. <laughs> oh, it, it's weird, though. I mean, it, it's it's great that, that people have really took like a duck to water to remake to. But um, the, the fact that now it's, it's becoming like the, almost, it feels like this is legitimizing just not playing the original, which is a shame because original RE2 is still mm. fantastic. It's still phenomenal. Like, if the soundtrack implementation in the remake of the original is anything to go by, still got a banging soundtrack <laughs> as well. You know, it, it's a timeless classic and it still needs a bit more appreciation. I think it's slightly off topic, maybe, but I, I kind of hope we see more of OG RE2 in some yeah. way. I I agree. I think that's, a, the, I mean, especially because, as, particularly in this instance, Capcom has said, uh, yeah, the original game takes precedent in terms of the story. So if you want to know the story properly, you should probably pay the original because this is just kind of like a reimagining, and that's that's what it is. Um, really, I didn't know that. That's cool. That's a thing, um, which is re- I'm very thankful of that. Um, and I hope other franchise, and I hope that's what they do. They do treat them as two separate things, and they'll continue to roll them out in the future. Because uh, obviously, these games will always get ported forward to other consoles. I hope Resident Evil Two doesn't get just left. The original Resident Evil Two doesn't just get left in the dust now that we have a remake. That was one of my fears to begin with. But uh, hopefully, there'll be plenty of people out there that kind of are interested enough in playing the original. Like speaking personally, I have a friend who just picked up Remake Two cheap over the Christmas holiday. Um, and he's messaging me all the time, sort of asking questions and stuff and being interested in this and that. And he's mentioned, hey, I, I kind of want to play the original now because I I don't know if I've ever played it properly. And I was just like, yeah, come around. I've got like three copies. Let's do it. So <laughs> it's, well, it's, well, it's You play well, Leon A, I'll play Claire B. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's well beyond the tier of sort of you know a timeless classic so i i think you know even before remake came out it was one of those games that almost everybody was familiar with mm-hmm. and knew of um it was very emblematic of the time that it came out um that's why it sold so well um i i think it's just very assuring that you know aside from the comparisons to uh resident evil 2's sales the fact that remake 2 is selling so well um in the market that it's in is really encouraging because it's not the longest game mm. and there are still there's still many crowds out there that do complain about uh, a price to game length ratio um as far as as far as post game there's lots lots of cool stuff but obviously there wasn't that much DLC there's no uh multiplayer aspects which obviously is a part of uh, Resident Evil 3's release coming up but mm. I, I just think as as an overall package, um, it did really well. I know it's obviously it's basing itself off an already successful game, but it is really encouraging that this remake, it really flew well above the radar because some remakes don't. I mean, Shadow of the Colossus just kind of, mm. it came it came out it, and it just, it just happened, um, which is a bit of a shame because that's a fantastic game too. But... Um, yeah, it, I know how hard it is for certain games to come out when they necessarily don't have that kind of that post-game offering. Um, you know that longevity where you've got season passes or you know multiplayer or all all other addition 
additional content down the line. Uh, five million copies, I, I think that Capcom would be very happy with that. Um, and obviously it, it means that there's some good longevity to the series as far as this direction is concerned. This is probably, uh, just, just hypothetically here, we've got the PS5 and the uh, the Xbox Series X on the horizon and whatnot. I can't help but feel we're probably going to see RE2 being re-released in the same fashion as RE4, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you put it in perspective, this is the, what is it, like the third best-selling Resident Evil then? I think five still beats two. It's the fourth. Right. It's fourth. fourth. It's, yeah, five, six, seven, and then uh, remake two. Oh, I didn't realize well, 7 would beat OG2. Oh, okay. Yeah, apparently so. Did very well. Yeah. Okay, well, that, 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 that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, our next bit of news. The Ambassador program hints at a new game, and uh, was it Notorious Leaker? Dust, <laughs> uh, Dust Golem has uh, revealing that the new title is probably releasing in 2021 and is likely not to be Resident Evil 8. Yeah, let me, let me read through some of these. So, uh, Otani, the producer who is in charge of the Resident Evil Ambassador program, which you could have signed up for. I don't know if that's still open in any way. Um, uh, Sent out an email earlier this month or uh, sometime in December talking about the Game Awards and stuff like that. And um, there's a ranking system with the Ambassador program, blah, 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 blah. And that's why you're seeing lots of people tweet with R-E-B-H fun uh, because that improves your rank. But it also, interestingly... Uh, puts on the email as a limited uh, as limited offers to ambassadors we have invitations to a playtest session of our unannounced title uh, so that's quite interesting which may be this game in 2021 so swapping over to the other side and we don't tend to discuss too many leaks we have talked about dust golem stuff in the past so i've set a bit of a precedent with that um he has history being correct on these things so it's quite interesting to stick with it for now but he says resident evil 8 is years away There was a version of RE8 that was in development since late 2016. It went on pause during uh, 2017 so that more hands could be on RE7's DLC and RE2, which was behind schedule at the time. Uh, However, it officially got scrapped and the project rebooted only like six to seven months ago. So the final RE8 version hasn't been in development for a full year yet. So you won't be expecting it anytime soon. Um, there is another Resident Evil game which will probably release next year, but it's not a re- it's not a remake, which is quite interesting. Nor RE8. So again, take some of this with a grain of salt. Might not necessarily be true. Might be misleading information that Dusk Golem's got from sources. Um, so, but nevertheless, interesting nonetheless. There is definitely precedent there to be another game in 2021 um, per the Ambassador Program, uh, which plays into the fact that Dusk Golem was also the person to say that we'll be getting a title every year from here on out for the next little bit. Uh, but it probably isn't a remake, and it probably isn't RE8. Anybody got any particular feelings on this? My hot Setting take is here. State. Sorry, go on, Steve. No, no, no just take my hot take is here. It's going to be Resident Evil, Mercenaries 3D. No, it's going to be... <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's like something more like the minigames, though, like a Mercenaries or Raid package. You know, because we've had lots of narrative flashbacks. Mm. It'd be nice to have something that's more... Gamey game. I mean, uh, you know, Mercenaries and Raid are very. You could you can really get into those score attack and RPG style mechanics and have a long time with them. And I kind of feel like they've got enough games in the RE engine maybe to like build some stuff that's kind of pretty awesome. Anyway, I'll, I'll pass it on to Jordan because I felt like I interrupted him. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. I interrupted you. Um, obviously, the fact that it's not either a remake or you know a, a next mainline series suggests it's not a core title if there is to be a release. Um, 
which obviously, as far as a leak is concerned, sets the stage perfectly for lots of wild speculation. <laughs> if you've been dreaming up whatever Resident Evil game you've been dreaming up at home, go and tweet about it. You know, go spend <laughs> the next year tweeting out wild speculation about everything. You know, yeah, why, why, why can't it be a, a dead aim successor? You know, you never know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, in, in all seriousness. Obviously, there's there's not a lot I could really think of that it that it mm. could be if there is going to be anything, because obviously the two main avenues that you would expect um, another remake or you know a successor to RE7 or RE6, depending on what storyline they're going with, um, I, I, because it's not either of those things, it's really hard to come up with anything else that it could be that's substantial because. If development is already kind of focused on obviously finishing up Remake Three, and also uh, with Resident Evil Eight, uh, I just I don't know. I I have the horrible feeling that it could end up we, we could get a title, but I'm thinking more something like um, Umbrella Core. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, Adam is I, in I, the. Adams in the chat think... saying a new on-rail shooter starring Ark Thompson, which I would actually be very down for something <laughs> of like something different, just like a different style. Bring back the on-rail shooter or something like that. Yeah, like because there's room to, to maneuver. Yeah, it would, it would be a lot of fun to you know kind of just I I don't know just throw anything out there. But I kind of feel like um, I don't know we're entering a strange territory. I mean I know Nintendo at the moment that you know their goal is to try and have I think was a Zelda game every year. Or is it every two years? I can't, I can't recall. But like it's 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 ramping up the productions mm. of these these series, and at some point you have to think, well, there's going to be there's not going to be enough people working on the uh, those different projects. They're going to release something smaller. So I think if anything comes out in 2021, it'll be a smaller Resident Evil game. Yes, that seems very possible. I don't know though if it's going to be like Stevie says something multiplayer would be good. It depends because Project Resistance, uh, sorry, Resident Evil Resistance comes out this year. So would they follow multiplayer up with multiplayer? But at the same time, they're following narrative up with narrative. So I don't know. Mercenaries and raid, guys. Mercenaries and raid. <laughs> you, you heard it. I here hang first. in there, okay? Have hope. Or Revelation <laughs> 3. That'll do too. Um, Fortnite Resident Evil. Oh, oh. You ruined it. You killed it. I feel like by 2021, that'll just be an irrelevant meme anyway. <laughs> there'll, be new, there'll be a new thing. <laughs> and now, reading the file, Doctor's Letter from Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, Blake Mitchell, who you can follow on Twitter, at Scalio Music. Dear Mrs. Baker, how have you been feeling recently? It's been a long time since you came in for your last checkup. I'm writing to tell you that I finished examining your x-rays. Those dark spots in your cranium are fungus-like structures that seem to be related to mold. The hallucinations and noises you said you've been hearing may be related to these growths. If your symptoms are due to a fungal parasite, it must be removed before it's too late. I don't mean to scare you, but I am seriously concerned for your health. Please come to the hospital as soon as you read this letter. As your doctor, I strongly recommend you undergo further tests. Crawford Lang, Dovey General Hospital. Our main subject for this podcast is Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, or as it's known in Japan, Biohazard 7 Resident Evil. 
some pretty cute subtitles going on there. Um, this game was developed from February 2014 onwards. Uh, there was an original Resident Evil 7 before that that was cancelled, more action-focused. Um, I think it was immediately put in development uh, after everything finished up on Resident Evil 6, but after the somewhat mixed reaction to that game, they went back to the drawing board and completely re-evaluated what the game would be. Our first sort of hint at Resident Evil 7 was a demo called Kitchen, which came out in E3 2015. Uh, was meant to be a hint in the sense that the T looked like a 7, but uh, it was pretty much nobody that figured this out because it was so wildly unlike anything else in Resident Evil, especially the stuff we'd seen recently. Uh, it, was, it was generally just kind of looked over as a cool VR tech demo thing that Capcom did. And nobody had any idea that it was anything to do with Resident Evil until the following year, I believe, at E3, where it was announced with a full reveal trailer. And suddenly, <laughs> I would say it all made sense, but it still didn't really make sense. This is a wild left turn for the series. Um, possibly, I wouldn't say as controversial as Resident Evil 4, but it gets up there. It's still hotly debated. It's a very different game. We're going to get into that. Um, how did you guys feel about the kitchen demo and, and stuff like that, the early reveals for Resident Evil 7? James, I'm going to assume that you don't have that much experience with them because you're quite new to the franchise. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't have any experience with the demo, but we did play the, um, the DLC, didn't we, Steve? With the kitchen? Yes, but the, yeah. the, the, these, are, these are different things. Uh, these are like, uh, I think the closest thing you would have seen is the beginning hour stuff, which is technically the sort of a remix of the opening portion of the mm -hmm. game okay yeah so i uh yeah so i i, that, I don't have enough. initial yeah initial, all right that's cool uh, steve how did you feel about kitchen and and since you just mentioned it as well beginning hour which was the playable demo i uh, see i uh, i missed the boat on kitchen uh but i i have since retroactively seen it um mm -hmm. uh when the, the second re7 was announced and that there was a demo coming out that night at e3 uh basically i went around to our mate i didn't have a ps4 at the time and i literally insisted that i borrow his <laughs> he said no so i went out and cleared my bank account and bought a ps4 um <laughs> yeah because i was that excited uh and uh genuinely i still think beginning hour was a great like okay it's not shattering pt as like the the be all and end all demo of a horror game that was like legendary or anything, but it's it's a it's a fun horror experience. And the whole the fact there is stuff in beginning hour that is not in the final game, like the whole ghost girl bit, and um, they later they kept updating it with like narratives and stuff. Right, yeah. And, uh, like it had a is it like a twilight update and then a midnight update where That's you correct. could go further and further into the house. Uh, the whole ghost girl aspect, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, it it felt very much like Resident Evil was trying to do a uh, more it sounds weird saying it, but more of a traditional Japanese horror thing with it hmm. uh, meets Blair Witch. And then obviously we get to Resident Evil 7 proper and it's actually more Grindhouse. But on its own, they're standalone stand pretty fun things. Kitchen, uh, I only, I've only passively watched it. So it's nice. I can see that the kitchen in Kitchen is the kitchen in the, uh, the Baker like guest house. But yeah. other than that, uh, rest in peace, Pete. You know, he gets his head thrown. It's, it's oh. Hmm. Indeed. Jordan, what was your reaction to these when they were announced way back in the day? So just to, just to clarify, so Beginning Hour sounds like the demo that I, I probably played, where, yeah, yes. it, it dropped it dropped on or around E3. It did, uh, yeah, and then it was and, subsequently updated twice over the next six months with extra content. 
Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember how the demo end because so, so many times the demo ended for me with "Welcome to the Family Zone" and being punched in the face. You know, so I can't quite remember it. But I just remember I was I was over my friend's house and and yeah, it was it was the same thing with Steve where you, you hear that a demo is being released and I love that stuff. It's it's magic. It doesn't happen very often, but when demos do get released around E3, mm. it's all altogether a lot more exciting. I, I I can't remember if it was Lost Planet or Dead Rising or maybe both that released in, in a similar fashion. They had demos release um, right Lost around E3. Yeah, yeah, and, two, I think. Yeah, I yeah, and uh, so it's 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 Capcom. They, they they kind of do pretty good service in that in that respect that sure. gets people excited right there and then for something that's just being revealed. I mean, when it when it was first revealed, it was it was a lot. There was a lot of what's going on in my head. Because I just it was just so confusing, but I mean, especially Capcom's sort of you know sort of partnership with uh, you know Sony and like you know right. VR and stuff. It was just it was just the way that they kind of bought straight into that tech. Um, that was quite impressive. I really kind of commended it because, well, you know, as we've seen, it's ended up being you know one of those first core titles that really legitimized the platform. You know, not just in VR in general, but on consoles. But anyway, back to the demo. So I think uh, it it didn't take too many tries to kind of complete it. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was so so radically different, and uh, you wouldn't necessarily think that you were playing Resident Evil. I would say, obviously, after you know be- beating the game, that it, now it is very much a Resident Evil game. But at the time, uh you couldn't help feeling that like this was almost I mean you know, I mean I played games like Penumbra and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's just it's the absence of enemies, it's the absence of people, it's it's the fact that you were just going around, you know, a building that even just turning the next corner just scares the life out of you because you don't know what's gonna be there. And um I remember in particular I jumped, there was there was a point, I think it's it's after you view the VHS tape. I think so, anyway. And you turn around in the room, and uh, there's the open doorway, and you see Jack walk past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the first time that you see you you see anybody um, like in that house at the time, and that fricked the life out of me. And uh, I I thought it was a yeah it was a it was a solid demo. Um, obviously, it taken a lot of its content from the beginning portions of the game, and uh, I, I think it was a great tone. Better. It was it was exciting, yeah. and 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 Resident Evil was exciting again because you know you were just it was all taking place in this house, and you were scurrying around for items and trying to figure out little puzzles and stuff like that. And you you had a mannequin finger, and you just didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> damn gummy finger! <laughs> <laughs> See, it was it was uh, it was the start of a very kind of fun renaissance for the for the series, I'd say. Mm. See, that's the thing. I'm glad that you guys have these sort of ex- excited memories because I must have been in a very strange period of my fandom at the time because 2015 Revelations 2 came out and I remember really enjoying that, uh, picking that up really early. I say really early on, when the actual boxed version came out rather than the episodic content. Uh, but yeah, really enjoying it and feeling positive about that game. But there was something about RE7 that I, it just kind of passed me by for the most part uh, on the lead up to the release. Um, I remember it being announced that Kitchen was Resident Evil 7 and just thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Um, doesn't look like much Resident Evil. Um, 
and then the beginning hour demo happened and I didn't have a PS4. So I guess part of my mind was just like, don't really look into it in case you're really interested and then you're going to kick yourself. Uh, maybe at the time I wondered how much exclusivity the game was going to have to PS4. Because uh, obviously the Xbox version of the demo didn't come out till December. So PlayStation had that demo for six months um, and had that ongoing update. Perhaps there was some sourness there for me as an Xbox owner. And I probably at the time, because I, I remember there was parts of me sort of um, regretting some of that decision, some of that purchase, and perhaps this was a part of it. Um, but leading up to the very close to the release, because I did get it on day one in the end, I really 360, uh, 360, I really 180'd my, um, my feelings about the game um, on the last sort of lead up to it. And part of that was Kitchen, um, because I got to play that in VR. Um, and I had a, a very particular experience with that. It was my first time doing VR as well, so what a like, deep end to be thrown into. As yeah, someone, definitely. I'm not particularly a horror person, despite having a podcast about Resident Evil. So I was very uneasy about the entire thing. Um, I went out one night in London with friends. Um, a friend of mine said, hey, let's go to this gaming bar that I know they have a VR setup and they have the RE7 demo thing. Um, let's go try it out. And they had a system where uh, they'd have the player in the VR headset, but they turned the TV off. No one was allowed to see the demo. What they'd rather you do is actually put the helmet on and experience it properly and not have it spoiled for you. So I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I remember putting the headset on and knowing immediately that the sound wasn't working and just being like, I'm not going to mention this to anyone because that's just going to make it 10 times scarier. I'm just going to deal with the visuals and not the audio. Yeah, it was bad enough. Like it's, <laughs> I was recoiling and everything. And by that point I was like, okay, I'm, I'm much more interested. Um, we'll talk a bit, a little bit about VR later. Uh, but that's when I was like, okay, I'm sold. Picked it up day one. And uh, yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. Um, so what were people's first experiences like? Um, Steve, did you get it day one? How did you feel about the game? How did you feel about it being such a massive uh, step away from what we'd come to know at that point? I, I did. I, I got it on midnight release and uh, I did my usual ritual where I booked time off from work to play it. Um, I pretty much powered through. I... Uh, I honestly, the, the thing that mostly uh, I was taken away from was like, this feels very similar to like, what if classic Resident Evil, but in first person to me, <laughs> like, um, you know, cause obviously you've got the, the, the multi key lock, you've got the, the main hall. Admittedly, it's a tiny main hall in comparison to RE1 uh, and you know, your central hall, you go, you, you're zigzagging across a mansion style building. And then you go to like a guardhouse style building. And then you end up in a, uh, a torture house as opposed to a laboratory. You know, it, it felt very emblematic of the uh, the original Resident Evil for me. It felt strangely like coming home in a new environment. Mm. Um, obviously, there's the whole... I have no nostalgia or any context for, like, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So for me, my main sticking points were this feels like RE1 again, without the stars members and all that. Um, yeah, no, I, I genuinely still think it's a fantastic game. I And then I, I was blown away. I'd say the monsters probably weren't all that scary because I mean you know it's the, it's the bakers you're there for but yeah mm. uh, had a, had a pretty phenomenal time with it. I haven't played the VR version. I've only played the uh, the PC and the Xbox version on this one as well. Fair enough, Jordan. What was your first experiences with the actual release like? Well, 
I mean, I mean, irrespective of any kind of game, I'm very late to the party where it comes to actually playing games. No matter how excited I am for them, you know, I might even pick them up when they come out and not necessarily play them straight away. I've still got a copy of Red Dead Redemption 2 staring me in the back um, <laughs> that I need to get around to. <laughs> um, but obviously, I, I played the demo, and it was more that I was just sort of... I was, I got a feeling of relief from the game coming out because I, I think with... Um, you know, no, no bad feeling towards games like um, the Revelation series and stuff like that. But I felt like Capcom was kind of stuck in a corner that really didn't know where they wanted to take Resident Evil. And the fact that Resident Evil 7 was just really stretching out and trying to just try and understand what it was again um, was exciting. So I was just kind of like, I played a demo and I was just very happy for the series. And I knew that it was going in a good place where, you know, it was it was trying something out. So, I mean, as far as my actual experience with the game proper, it's actually come very recently, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the sake of this podcast. But, I mean, uh, you know, my, my my best friend he's a he's a big Resident Evil fan, and um, so I always kind of take, you know, his his look and his views on the series and and particular games as a, a real good test of you know, where the series is. Uh, he played the entire thing in VR and, you know, said one, nice. it was one of the best experiences um, and that it's, a, you know, it's a really solid solid game. So I always just kind of thought, you know what, like, I, I know when it comes around to it, it'll be, uh, you know, a great experience. And, I mean, we'll get more into, you know, how I actually feel about the game as a whole okay. as we get more into this. But as far as the um, perspective change, I think that was, um, I think it was, it was needed. It wasn't necessarily something that, like, you know, the Resident Evil series had been pining for. I mean, it wasn't the first time it tried it, but it was. Uh, it was just the fact that it was something so radically different. There's certain things that are kind of harder to do in in first person um, if you were trying to follow in the same vein as Resident Evil Six. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I mean, you you could make an action packed first person game. You you could make Resident Evil COD. But I'm glad they didn't. Um, and uh, like I say, I, you know, I used to play games like Penumbra, which was obviously a predecessor to the, the game that a lot, mo- a lot of more people know about, which is uh, Amnesia. And um, those kind of games were very fun because of the fact that they were just so limited in, you know, where you needed to go and what you were interacting with. And it was just the terror of what might be there. And um, the thing is, Resident Evil had got to that point where you pretty much knew everything. Like Resident, you know, by the time that Resident Evil Six had come around, you knew every enemy, and you pretty much knew every set piece because mm. there'd been a lot of games by that point. So it was, it was just a breath of fresh air, and it was, I think, it was necessary, and I think it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a palate cleanser. Because if you'd went through that past generation and you'd had a lot of old over-the-shoulder Resident Evil games. To then suddenly be chucked into um, a first-person perspective, uh, and what's more, it, you know, if you were brave enough and you have the kit, a VR perspective was pretty radical. So, James, you also played the game for the first time 
very recently. Um, we're going to get to see that on YouTube very soon. What was your first experience like? Because now, obviously, you've been playing the games in order as well. So for you, you've now experienced that sudden change of perspective as well and that sudden change of style. Yeah, it's um, it's quite fascinating. And um, I, uh, Steve, after we um, finished, I mean, I'm not going to get too into it, but he told me to rank the games because mm. that I mean that's m the main game's done now, and Resident Evil is high up there. Resident Evil Seven, sorry, is high up there. It feels so. I, I didn't say this in the video because it, I got to thinking because it's, it's it's the kind of game that stuck with me after we completed it. Like all the rest have too. Like I love, but it's it. And the reason that is is because it's so personal, mm. and that's different from the other games where. And that's not that's not criticism to the other games. It's just the other games are you're working together as a team. You're trying to solve these issues, you know. But in uh, in Resident Evil Seven, it feels so personal and uh, like it is really all on you to get through this. And yeah, that's what I took from it. And I I like it's super super enjoyed that side of it. Uh, the story as well. Oh, I love the story. I'm a nitpicker for lore, but that it was i think it was only in the dlc where it got a little bit crazy but we'll talk about <laughs> that later um but yeah um love loved it and I, I came away from it absolutely adoring resident evil 7 and being like when's eight when's eight when's it coming <laughs> you know um <laughs> because i mean not only that but uh <laughs> i'm a little bit biased because um I, I kind of hit a nail on the head with that trivia that challenge trivia idea <laughs> right <laughs> and i was so surprised right when we came across that ship right and i was like wow this is just instead of the bering strait it's like the west coast of i don't know maybe america <laughs> i'm not sure um but yeah and to see all that it, it was awesome it was awesome to see and i loved i loved every minute of it. it's it's worth saying that when we did that trivia game and you had that story i just assumed you'd looked up some resi 7 stuff and just used that honestly i honestly thought you had so that's really funny that yeah retroactively now you go oh well that's a funny coincidence <laughs> yeah it was crazy because all i did as research all i did uh, to repeat i've said this three times i think all i did was look at organizations Mm -hmm. I put I put organizations Resident Evil into Google and it gave me all the all, all the organizations and the ones I didn't know I'd never heard of I kind of built into the story and yeah it was just wow madness. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about ranking the game cards on the table for me uh, I'm in agreement uh, in the sense that it completely stuck with me. Um, it's one of those games that. I don't know if I should necessarily compare it to Silent Hill 2, but for hours and then days afterwards, I would just think about all of the the implications, the stories, the characters, how it all would weave together. Um, especially because some parts of Resident Evil 7 are told out of order as well, so it really makes you think about uh, the sequence of events and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, clumsy. Yeah, <laughs> especially that, all those little bits. Like, I mean... Might as well say it. Kitchen demo. I think that is technically canon. That like that actually fits. It's bizarre, but all the little DLC scenarios and stuff like that, it can actually all string together, which is really cool. Um, yeah, the Chronicles of Clancy Javis. The yeah. poor guy goes through some stuff. Like, <laughs> he does. Uh, BB Mac has just put in chat. Had to stop playing Seven for breaks because I uh, playing right. Seven for breaks because I was so horrified. Absolutely. That's another thing. 
is that that game made I think it made me jump the most, didn't it, Steve? I think yeah, no, that's like <laughs> there, was one, there was one moment where I literally fell out of the chair. <laughs> I can't remember which part it was, but yeah, I just I went flying. The 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 speakerphone, the the headset went off my head. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, can we pause? <laughs> I'd, I'd love if you fell off the chair at the same time as Ethan falls off the chair at the beginning of the game. <laughs> it, would, it would be perfect timing. I mean, I completely agree. It's that fantastic kind of experience where it's like, you really want to keep going. You want to play more. This is a fantastic experience. Also, I hate it and I want to walk away. I'm terrified. I don't want to know what's around the next corner. Jack's outside somewhere, you know, all this stuff. Uh, and that's why at the end of it, as I say, cards on the table for me, it lands in my top three uh, Resident Evil games. I... I adored it when I first played it and playing it again recently for the podcast for the first time since the really since the game came out like I played it a bunch and I got all the achievements and the speed running and and all that really the only thing I didn't do was play it on Madhouse but playing it again 3 years on um it was so good to have that experience again and just like and have all those feelings come back I I I really really enjoyed Resident Evil 7 um, so let's talk more about the gameplay. Um, obviously, we talked about the change of perspective, which, as you rightly said, uh, it's it makes it it makes it more personal. Like it's a personal story, but that perspective actually makes it feel more personal as well. Makes it feel more isolated, and really helps with the horror aspect in the way that the over-the-shoulder couldn't at the time, and maybe Capcom have figured that out a little bit better with the remakes. Um, but it was such a, a massive turn. Um, in in genre and in style and a lot um, everything had to change we're not playing like mission based anymore you've got much more of a uh, a looser feeling a bit more exploration you've got a bit of like puzzling and item collection like there's a lot of stuff in here and as steve said it feels like resident evil one with all these things suddenly coming back and the spooky house uh steve how do you feel about um the gameplay overall and the changes uh, I really like. I was keen on it. Like as much as the molded, in hindsight, are a bit rubbish. Okay, mm. you know, there's like the fast-legged one. There's the normal zombie one, and then there's a, a lardy one. You know, they're, <laughs> they they um they're a bit uninspiring, but the actual bakers themselves are getting around the estate. That the the fact that you can like um block and duck and weave and like you know it's it's different because in in like the older games you would try and find a way to like skirt past from like around the back of them, and now you can actually like duck and like you know. I think if you time your blocks perfectly, you take no damage as well. So mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of parrying to it. And it's um, those kind of mechanics are what keep me playing it. Like these, these little extra little things and the actual combat itself feels very uh, paradoxically still feels very classic resident evil because to get any decent shots off with Ethan, who has like, you know, he's gone to the same training school as Sam Hill protagonist to shoot guns. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to take your time and plant your shots or mm-hmm. you're not going to hit anything. Uh, so you, it's literally, plant your feet, hold the R1 button, and aim, which is not unlike tank-controlled resi. I mean, you can move and shoot, but you're going to miss. You know? and, and that's uh, why, well, it's just, for me, it's just a visual perspective change. It's like, what if Survivor was good, you know, in terms of <laughs> gameplay? I, I know a lot of people like Survivor for its lore, but its gameplay is trash, okay? Um, the actual exploratory aspects, uh, that's probably another cool thing to mention because there's stuff tucked away in real like obscure corners of the environment there's like a power-up you can get isn't there um like a psycho stimulants or something yes. to find these hard to hit hard hidden things that's cool as well it's awesome when you find them yourself 
But, you know, the fact there's a crutch for if you're desperate for supplies is also nice. Um, I feel like I could waffle on for hours, so I'm going to just pass on to another person <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> no, that's fair that's enough. Okay. Like, it, like, you've started the little list there of, like, survival horror um, elements that come back. Like, for me, I found the combat quite challenging for the reasons you mentioned. Um, you, yeah, you kind of just have to face it and do it because if you're, you're in a panic state, it's just going to get worse. Like... You, yeah, you have to get a bit of practice in. Um, I found the controls, like, playing it back this time, I found the controls looser than I remembered, and I think that's just uh, because it's been a while. And the perspective actually makes it harder. In a, like, it makes it challenging because, yeah, things are coming right at you. And, yeah, it's, it's really well designed. It's not a first-person shooter by any stretch of the imagination. I uh, say even the first, like, even the original Doom, you've got more mobility and, like, capabilities to get <laughs> yeah, around exactly. than this. Exactly. It's very intentional. Uh, Jordan, how do you feel about the gameplay? Um, well, first of all, I'll, I'll preface by saying that um, sometimes when a game like this comes along and it's um, it's almost selling its concepts, um, I kind of tend to go a little bit softer. I make certain, certain concessions um, because I still feel that there's going to be a successor to this game, that Capcom will try this mm -hmm. again and they'll expand on it further. And I think they'll fully realize... Um, you know the the ideas that they were kind of building with this. But that said, there's there's plenty to dissect and work with um, in this game. But I would say like one of the biggest uh, gameplay changes that kind of surprised me, threw me off, and maybe this is partly down to my inexperience with more recent games like Outlast and Alien Isolation. But there was a lot of stealth involved, um, and mm. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Resident Evil is a is a stealthy game. Um, you know, it's obviously survival horror, but like typically, you don't need to kind of worry about if uh, you know a zombie can see you because it's more about if they can catch you. And um, so that kind of caught me off guard because from the beginning, um, you are you are you're basically being stalked, and uh, you know you have stalker enemies to deal with. And so that that took a little while to kind of get used to. Um, died quite a few times trying to get away from Jack. I'm trying to figure out how to get past uh, mm -hmm. Jack, but that was great. Um, and 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 it was it was legitimately scary when you've managed to corner yourself in a room and you know he's looking through all of the different rooms. Um, you know that that kind of complexity to to game design has kind of snuck up on me. You know, that's something that, like, you know, maybe 15 years ago, you just didn't see a great deal. And you wouldn't necessarily even be able to imagine the kind of terror of a single enemy trying to find you. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the game does that really well. With regards to the gunplay, um, I'm a little bit mixed on it. You know, as you guys have said, it's, 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 not, it's not the most finessed as far as, as far as gunplay. And I think that's partly intentional mm -hmm. you know ethan's not supposed to be some some mercenary he's not supposed to be a hot shot um and and but what's more for the designers i don't think they were necessarily out to try and make you shoot everything i think they were trying to kind of get you to a point where you you shoot out of necessity and then try and encourage you to maybe run as much as possible. I mean, you know, there were just certain enemies which I just, 
after a while, I was just like, no, nope, I'm running, I'm gone. Like, because I'd see things like the, um, like the four legged molded that would, you know, scurry across the walls and stuff like that. I was useless when it came to enemies like that. And uh, any kind of enemy that comes up close, uh, you know, it's like my shooting got worse, even though they're a bigger target. So, uh, you know, I tried to avoid it as much as possible, but, you, you know, I think there's certain games which have shooting mechanics but don't necessarily encourage you to use them. Um, and I think that Resident Evil 7 is a, is a bit like that. I'm kind of I'm surprised in a way as well that it was so so action-packed from the beginning of the game. Um, I was expecting it to be a pretty slow burn for the first hour or two. Um but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that's the case. I'd say that you are kind of fighting for your life from from the get go. I mean, um, as far as the way that the game pans out and kind of develops, I've been very used to Resident Evil games having a structure. Um, you know, and and based on like the Resident Evil Four model, it's always kind of like you promote the first act of the game, but you know you have about four more acts to follow that are wildly different and in different places and um, much more complex. Um, whereas I kind of felt like Resident Evil 7 almost skips the first act, or it makes it very short, because you are all immediately going into a house that just kind of keeps expanding, and you've got enemies that keep changing. Um, and uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised, like, you know, just how intense it got with Jack quite quickly. Um no, no bad points, of course. Just that it took me a lot of time to adjust to to the stealth, to the gunplay, and to the intensity of the game and the way that it ramps up quite quickly. Obviously, it's it's contested as a bit of a shorter game um, for kind of the experience that it is, but I think it kind of it gets it right. Um, and I, I yeah, I, I think it's 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 a decent run for the first time that they've tried this as well mm. properly. That's true. Like it's it's so wildly different, and yet, uh, for all intents and purposes, they pulled it off. I agree with you in the sense that there's definitely a lot of room to improve here in the future, which we'll talk about as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of game length, it definitely seems to be something that they've figured out quite well because both Resident Evil Seven and the Resident Evil Two remake, they're games that on your first playthrough you're going to play a fair bit slower because there's actual threat, there's terror, you're taking things slowly, taking it all in, making sure you're doing things uh, as correctly as possible. But then they're also kind of, they're games that can really easily be promoted as speedrunning uh, games, which obviously has become something about the original Resident Evil games that's quite popular to do and that sort of thing. Um, so whilst they're both, both kind of short, um, it kind of works out in that way because there's two different play styles there. You've got your, your much slower first experience, which admittedly you'll never get to do again after you've completed the game and when you know all of its tricks. But then you can move on to perfecting that kind of run. James, how did you feel about the, the wild gameplay changes? Um, yeah, I... Uh, see, I was very surprised at how much they put into a, to a first-person perspective, um, how many mechanics there were, when you really didn't have much to work with at the beginning of the game. Like, I was surprised about the blocking. I was surprised about the mm -hmm. parrying and the reposting, if you could call it that. Um, and, yeah, and I, I got uh, I got the, the gunplay and how uh, kind of lackluster it was. Um, 
because I mean, we didn't know who Ethan was. We still don't know who Ethan is. Uh, I have my own theories, but again, that's in the video that will come out. Um, but yeah, uh, the 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 thing I did have issues with though when it came to the gameplay was the running. <laughs> like, I know that they were trying to make it scary, um, and you know, Jack sees you and suddenly you got to belt it. But Ethan, Ethan, can you just Ethan. run? You know, more than five steps a minute. It's just. Oh my word, he just it's like it was just, when he walks, his walk is fine, right? His walk is fine. That's but when he's running, he doesn't really run. He's just kind of leisurely jogging through the countryside <laughs> yeah. with his, you know, with his dog at his side. That's what it feels like. You um, almost want it to be a sprint. You almost want it to be a proper sort of like camera shaking sprint. Mm. Um, yes. Rather than a rather than a, you know, a typical FPS run. Yeah. Like I, I wanted. What so when I was running, I I found myself getting frustrated more than I was getting scared. Like the initial, there's the there was the initial scare from Jack or or uh, Marguerite or whoever, and then I was like, Ethan, can you just run faster? I can run faster <laughs> than this. Please run faster. <laughs> like I was just getting annoyed with him, um, the char- the character. I was I, I I kind of had that weird thing that gamers do. You know when you kind of you're looking around the corner and you look around the corner with the character um with me i was holding the stick further even though it couldn't go any further because i wanted <laughs> to run faster right or press the button harder and yeah that 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 was my only issue was the running everything else i was fine with cuz i was just this average joe he was here to collect his collect his girlfriend um yeah, so I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that that part of the gameplay. But the running, no, redo it. <laughs> I um, so on the running point, I get what you're saying. Um, I wonder if that is to do with just the general size of the locations and stuff like that. Obviously, they don't want you tearing around like crazy. Um, the Baker's estate, which comprises of like a main house, um. There's the old dilapidated house, kind of like Lucas's playroom and stuff like that. It's it's a weird kind of size because it's not actually really that big, um, especially with the way that the game has been made. Uh, you can get around get around it pretty quickly. When you think about the Spencer Mansion, if they made that in first person, um, I wonder how long it would take to walk from one corner to the other. I wonder if it would feel like a similar size because the Baker house, like the main house, it's it's pretty unrealistic when you think about it as the size of a normal house. It is bigger than a normal house, but it's not. It doesn't feel mansion sized. It still feels uh, it's big enough to be interesting, but kind of believable, even if it is, you know, in a gameplay. Oh, it's it's slightly extended for a gameplay. You've got it, these weird corridors difficult. and stuff. It's a very typical Resident Evil house. Yeah, it's, it, it's it doesn't like, really make it's sense. Like, but... It's like the Capcom director just slapped the top of the house and said, you can fit so many rooms in this thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going. I mean, there was, uh, the f- underneath the floorboards is a room. It's a, it's a whole section. And <laughs> it, it, yeah, like I, 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 I felt most at home... Resident Evil-wise, once I realized this building just goes on and on and on. (laughs) Yeah, and I suppose it's it's always been like that. Like, there's, there's, you know, the Spencer Mansion, when you first get into it, you think it's just going to be, you know, those rooms. And then, but it just, obviously, it it has everything underground and it goes Mm. into all these different paths and stuff like that. 
it's just Resident Evil. Even the films do this. You know, the <laughs> umbrella building, it's it's down towards the center of the earth. It's just <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I love I mean I love it. I love that Capcom Capcom do it, but they clearly love rooms. There's that they've got some, you know, cartographer that just wants to draw as many blueprints as possible because uh, it just goes on and on. But in a way, obviously, it had to be like that because the setting was that it's this rural backwards house. And uh, if you just had it as a normal house, the game would be 40 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, so they have to they have to kind of expand it. But yeah, you, you, at first you're kind of like, what? This is unrealistic. How can they have this room? How can they have this room? Why do they have... 700 bathtubs you know like it's it's just crazy but at the same time like you kind of you get to a point where you just you're like you know what i'm not in a normal place am i (laughs) i've been this guy that's followed me he's changed into several different forms you know i'm I'm clearly i'm not in kansas anymore (laughs) no you're in louisiana which is a whole different yeah so what you you gotta take from this is that in real life, if anybody has more than three, no, two bathtubs, then they ain't right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, and a family member that just teleports everywhere. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've all got one of those, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, I there is lots of like little bits of lore in this game that feed back into the older games. Um, my favorite one is actually related to this. There's a note that um, I can't remember what exactly it's referring to, if it's like the three-headed dog fig for the front door or if it's the, the shadow puzzles, uh, but they're constructed by Trevor and Chamberlain, uh, referring to George Trevor, the architect of the Spencer Mansion, which is a nice little like, well, that's why it's so wacky. It's the same guy. And that's enough of an explanation and, a, and just like a cute little nod. It's the 60s. Wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, but when, on, you don't know on. when are these sa- things were installed. <laughs> are you are you saying that this game establishes in the law that there is a reason why these houses are so elaborate? Yeah, the 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 architect who's known for building in crazy that. passageways. <laughs> I love that because that that that, expl- that would explain so much. That would explain all the. You know, all the medallions and, you know, the different types mm-hmm. of keys and stuff like that. No, no, that's that works. That works. That's or I've just completely lost my mind after playing <laughs> this game. You no, know, you, you kind of change your standards of what reality is after playing Resident <laughs> Evil 7. So the theory is this house was built, or, or at least uh, these sections of the house were edited by this architect sometime before his death in the 60s when he's uh, sent over to build this venture estate and stuff like that and smaller projects like this obviously paved the way for him to be known for building in secret rooms and stuff like that so technically yeah <laughs> it's part of the actual canon and now reading the file infection report from resident evil 7 biohazard ronaldo ramirez the third This report details the symptoms that appear when the bacterium, hereafter referred to as mold, that grows inside the E-series infects a human. Be sure to read this document thoroughly before dealing with E-series weaponized assets. Initial Infection The mold ingests nutrients from the subject's body to propagate itself, and slowly takes over cells within the body. As a side effect of this, The infected subject gains remarkable regenerative abilities, 
During experiments, we removed arms and legs from test subjects and found that they were able to co-opt the amputated limbs in a matter of minutes. Mid-stage infection. Once the mole reaches the brain, the subject's thoughts become in tune with those of the E-series asset. If this state continues, the host will lose all sense of ego. Complete infection. After every cell in the body has been taken over by the mold, the subject begins to lose their human form. Physical mutations differ from case to case, but all result in him or her acquiring incredible physical strength. Containing a subject at this stage would be extremely difficult. Uh, Resident Evil 7, the setup is pretty straightforward. You play as Ethan Winters, a man who has uh, lost his wife. She's been missing several years. Um, and one day he gets a video message from her uh, regretting her babysitting job or whatever that she kind of used as a cover uh, and telling him to stay away, uh, which of course he doesn't do. Drives to Dolby, Louisiana uh, to find her in this strange old house. Uh, and then things go horribly wrong when he meets the Bakers, who are under the control of something else. Let's put it that way. How do we feel about the story setup? It's obviously pretty straightforward. I mean, this is the second time I'm going to say Silent Hill 2 in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to find my dead wife. <laughs> James, how did you feel about the, the, the sort of story setup and the overall arc? Um, tell you what, there's one thing, uh, the overall arc, I love that it kept you kind of, uh, it kept you guessing at some points and it wasn't to do with the story. Like we all knew kind of, once you start to realize what was happening, we all knew what had to happen. But, uh, one thing I actually liked was, um, Lucas not fighting him. I love that the game mixed that up because you had to fight Jack and then you had to fight Margarine. He's like, oh, okay, this is a typical gamer thing. I'm now mm-hmm. going to have to fight Lucas. And then they're all going to join into a Megazord. And I'm going to have to get the Power <laughs> Rangers. Right? But it wasn't that. It changed completely. Um, and that was cool. It, 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 it surprised me. And I, li- I like in storytelling, I like being surprised um, like that. But yeah, it, it was a you know, it was a typical story. But it was one that didn't really have any plot holes. Mm. Um, not the, not until again you get to the DLCs, um, which yeah, there's that one DLC which I think we all know about, which is completely crazy, but I love it. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I really liked the story. I liked how it knitted together. Um, I wanted to see Ethan's face, but <laughs> at the same time, I was like, no, 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 keep it, keep it secret, because um, I I, I want to see what they what they're going to do with that if they do anything at all. Which means that the fans are going to be like, oh, we can do anything with this, you know, because that's what fans tend to do. And I love that. Um, he does have a face, James. He does actually have a face. You can. Um, I mean, he has a face, more. but we don't know what that face is. <laughs> so, no, no, no. He, uh, he, he, he does have a real, you can mod him into RE, uh, RE2 oh. Remake and see what he looks like and stuff. He's kind of oh, he's, really? he's as generic as you'd think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I well, wouldn't worry too I'm... much about his face. They'll change it again in a few oh. games. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna, uh, I, I'm gonna keep it in my mind though that he doesn't have a face. It's just a secret <laughs> face. Um, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> a secret face. He was wearing a balaclava for the whole game. <laughs> Or maybe um, they'll pull a Mass Effect 3 and you'll get a royalty-free image of just a man in a framed photo. No, <laughs> no don't you remind me of Tali, my bae. No! <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, I really liked the the change up with Mia. I said I predicted that at the beginning. I said, nope, she's a bad one. Nope. Like, I know she chopped her armor off, so that's, that's a pretty bad thing. I love thing, the fact but... the first boss fight is Mia. Can I just say? There's no minimal enemies. There's just, right, here's your first thing. It's a boss fight. This woman has a chainsaw. <laughs> and it's your wife. Yeah, yeah. it's your wife. <laughs> it's the whole point you're there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. That's yep. very, very true. I mean, yeah. that, that's cool story writing. That's like that's That's them saying, oh, well, I'm here, but this can't be the end, so what more is there? Yeah, you know, it's like what else is going on. It makes you want to explore and wants to to uh, to explore the story and find out what's happened, even if Ethan doesn't sound interested. <laughs> I think, I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. There is a real big like shake shake up of your expectations. Sort of, yeah. As soon as you encounter Mia, she seems fine, and then very much not the case. There's a there's some really like iconic scenes in this game already that I feel like are going to stand the test of time and be part of like, remember this classic Resident Evil moment, like the dinner scene and Mia like crawling up those stairs at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. The first time you see her completely turned and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Some, some cool stuff by throwing that in there first. And then obviously you're introduced to the bakers and sure enough, like there's a lot of little story threads, the Lucas thing, when you read into his backstory and there's even a line like later on where Jack says, you know, none of my family are, are murderers or anything. Well, it turns out Lucas actually was all along. And of course his family wouldn't know that, but he's been a psychopath this entire time anyway, um, which makes him extra special when he gets away in the actual main game. And you're, you're like, yeah, we have to take this guy down. Yeah, that's your that's your typical League of Le League of Legends player. They're typically psychopath. <laughs> uh, just for context, he has an LCS uh, jacket on, hoodie on, which is yeah. I'm not going to get into it, but yeah. Aren't you a League um, of Legends player? Yes, I am a psychopath. Did you not know? LCS Liberty City Stories for the PSP. <laughs> Hey, you started I love that game. Steve, you started this podcast by calling me a psychopath. I ah, yeah, I did no such thing. <laughs> and he will finish it calling you a psychopath. Consistency. <laughs> Jordan, how did you feel about the story? Um, well, the first word that comes to mind is family. Family. We're a family. You're supposed to be a family. We're part of the family now. In the words of the late Carrie Fisher, it's about family, and that is what's so powerful about it. <laughs> <laughs> that aside... I um I I I did like the the, the story. I mean, it, it, again, it's that kind of it's that tiered progression with the story, um, where you start off thinking it's one thing, and then it changes again, and it changes again mm -hmm. um, as you go through the the different acts, the different areas, um, thing uh, things change. I mean, when I found Mia so soon. And then she turns evil, you know, I lose a hand, she loses a third of her neck. Y you know, you think, wow, where does the game go from there? Because yeah. um, in, in a way, like that moment kind of felt a bit like, and, and the game kind of does this throughout, as far as the narrative goes. It feels like it's almost wrestling or maybe even just, just flirting a little bit with the idea of being, a bit Silent Hill-like. Um, not that I profess to be an expert on Silent Hill, but I know enough about its themes. And um, it's 
you know, that notion that it's not always necessarily kind of the, the horror aspect, which is obviously the core of Resident Evil, but like Silent Hill, where it's very psychological. And, mm. you know, the idea that you've kind of, you've come to this house out of, you know, some longing to find somebody you're pretty sure isn't there. And then they show up, you have a chance to save them, and then you end up killing them, seemingly. Um, it, it, it's... It's one of those things where you, you, when you're starting the game and you already have your objective, which is to save the woman you love, um, and that's thrown out of the window, uh, it, it really opens you up to what's going to happen from that point on. And you, you're kind of, you're, you're then, you're back to following breadcrumbs. You're back to trying to piece this all together. As far as the narrative as a whole, I think it worked out really well. Um, the, the notion of kind of, basically piecing together this is I, mean, I, I feel like i'm saying this a dozen times in this podcast it's very resident evil <laughs> um the idea that you start off with that initial confusion and then you slowly piece together um what's happened um is is obviously it's it's a great format for the series and it works out really well here because you are you're again you're being able to explore in first person which means that you get a real feel for every room and you know every little article that you kind of pick up and look at all the photographs and the you know the notes and the lists and stuff like that as far as the the reveal i had no idea mm. like i i really didn't think anything about evelyn you know um i i didn't uh i didn't suspect that was anything i just thought it was a weird thing just thought she was just a lady that can teleport i, I I really paid no mind to it, but I mean, obviously one of the strongest parts of the story is the characters. All the characters are really fun. I wouldn't say they're necessarily scary. Like, I mean, when when Jack was following me around, and especially when you find him in the garage and he's like, he just gets in the car. <laughs> I felt like I felt like I was fighting Mel Gibson from South Park. If you've ever seen the episode where Mel Gibson shows up and he's just he's just a loony, he's just jumping about, he's doing his own thing. And that's what Jack was doing. He was just kind of like, oh, I want to kill you. But also, I'm going to get in this car and crash and burn and die. And it's just, it was just maddening. Like, I was like, I don't, I, I don't know what's going on with these characters. I feel like I really am in a madhouse. Um, but they're all played really well. Um I, I think Lucas was probably my favorite of the the family. I, th I think he had the most, dare I say it, charm to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, the story the story as a whole, I think, was was very solid. Um, again, sticks to Resident Evil roots. Can we mention about the ending? I suppose we can in this story discussion bit. Sure. Yeah. So he played it by now. Uh, he probably should. Yeah. yeah. Why are you listening to a Resident uh, Evil podcast? Go <laughs> on. Not to spoil it, guys. Chris Redfield shows up at the end. <laughs> um, I mean, um, yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, one expectation I had was that once it was revealed that Ev Evelyn was the old lady in the wheelchair, um, and you, you know, you uh, defeated her effectively and you were kind of transported back to that room um and you know she she kind of got up out of a chair and she says oh why does everyone hate me and you know why can't we be a family i thought that was going to be the end like i thought she was just going to melt and you were just going to be left with a very silent hill kind of 
pit in your stomach of mm. what have I just experienced? Like this isn't a boss. This isn't like the end of the game. I just kind of feel horrible for all involved. Obviously, it then snapped straight back into Resident Evil. She becomes a giant face in the wall. She becomes the face of Bo, and you fight her, and then <laughs> that's that's the end of the game. And I kind of like I was happy with both outcomes, frankly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it kind of it, it hit all the marks, but yeah, as a, as a story, it was it was original enough while still being traditional enough as a Resident Evil narrative, and it, it really worked well. I believe we call that a Factor Five Birkin scenario, where the wall is coming to eat you at the other end of the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> um, Very much, and... yeah. Steve, how did you feel about the story? Right, uh, I'm going to just uh, touch on something that a lot of people criticize Ethan's like personalization and characterization in this game. Is it weird that I was perfectly in sync with him most of the time? Like no. when he would like, you know, be uttering expletives or be, be tired and fed up or I mean it's the bit where the spiderish Marguerite tells that to her, like he just says, That's special. He literally says the same thing I do. And it's like <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't care if it's apparently milk toast to bland, he's my flavour of milk toast to bland. Um, you know, but no, uh, yeah, I genuinely loved all of them. Uh, uh, but me, my personal favorite probably is Marguerite because she's just scary. Like uh, Psycho Mama, who like, you know, hovers around corridors and then, what is it, like, you go through a certain door in the the like the side house, I don't know what you'd call it, boathouse, and, and she's like, stay the bleep out. And then the, <laughs> the room fills with spiders and she's just running around cackling to herself. Like, <laughs> Steve, Steve. Oh, no, yeah, you, you, you can going to spoil that? Okay. I, I don't know, it's just, she wasn't very scary at one point in our game. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, all I'm going to say is, uh, if, if you're interested in how Marguerite can look like when she's really bugged, uh, and I don't mean in a uh, in a visual sense, I mean in a gameplay sense, uh, 2019's Resident Evil 7 Let's Play, you'll see it. Um, but no, she as a character is like the most deranged, I think. Like, Jack's just angry and hateful and doesn't want you to replace him. Lucas is Lucas, who's a scheming, like, you know, double-dealing, betrays-everybody kind of guy with a penchant for, like, saw traps. But Marguerite is genuinely nuts. Like, she wants you to be part of the family. She wants to look after you and care for you, but she also wants to feed you to her babies. She's got very mixed messages as well. She's like, stay out. Also, you're not getting away. Where Um, am I supposed to stand, Marguerite? Where do you want me? (laughs) Exactly. And, the, uh, and the, uh, you know, the, her boss fight, I think it's the standout for me. I mean, obviously, Chainsaw Deathmatch in a tiny cage is pretty cool as well. But the um, the, the set piece where you're in, like, a like a, just a greenhouse where she's crawling around and vomiting up bugs and stuff, it's probably the most intricate boss fight in the game. Mm. Uh, uh, narratively speaking, I do feel like it uh, hollows out a bit after... I mean, a lot of people say this. When you've beaten Jack and you have to decide who to cure, Mia or Zoe, then you go to a boat. It does kind of feel a little bit run and gun for a while on that boat mm-hmm. when you switch to Mia. Uh, and then the salt mines is pretty much a straight shot. There's not really any puzzles to the end game, followed by a big law room with, um, here is all of the story that you didn't pick up on. Mm. Um, that's probably its weakest point for me. The, the, actual, the characters and atmosphere are great. But it hollows out after Jack dies. Uh, well, dies in quotation marks. See the DLC for later. Um, yeah, that's fair. You know, the, the, uh, the final showdown is it's kind of the real final boss is too fat molded before a ladder. Because all you need to do is shoot, you have to just shoot like, um, what is it, like a handful of times and you've pretty much beaten 
mm. uh, mutated Evelyn. It's, it's kind of when you when you when you play the game a few times, the uh, the the ending bits kind of drag for me. At least, it, well, yeah. yeah, there it is. What it is? I still think it's a great game, but I feel like the ending portion is weak. That's fair. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, sort of the run and gun. You could almost say Devil's Advocate. Mia is actually the person associated with. Uh, the sort of like criminal organization and all this so she should be a bit more capable and maybe that's their way of kind of like justifying it giving her a machine gun and stuff um, mm. but I yeah I, I agree it's it's fun in its own different kind of way uh, but it does feel like this is weird to say but it almost feels like the, the game has ended <laughs> this is like mm. the epilogue part um, yeah the get it, it does peter out a little bit at the end which is unfortunate because I feel like up until that point very very strong um, it does peak up a little bit for me, um, as Jordan mentioned with like the, the Evelyn reveal, I didn't get that the first time. Um, so like looking back on all the sort of hints is really cool. You go into sort of like, um, the children's playroom thing and you're for the first time and you're, and you're like, what the hell is all this about? And then you encounter the small girl who runs away from you and then, right up to the end of the game where you're sort of like replaying memories almost as you go through the house at the beginning uh you get to see the photo of her and turn it over and all is revealed uh, the old lady and the child are one in the same and then yeah big lore dump in the lab at the end which again so like the story for this game we just talked about it in depth clearly has very little to do with the connecting games and that's a lot of some people's issues with it is that it's kind of segmented my favorite little bit in resident evil 7 is just that one of those files references a corporation that hasn't been talked about in 17 years um so it was nice to HCF. see them. yeah hcf <laughs> I, mean, I like screamed when i read the letters hcf in that file and my wife was like what are you talking about i was like it, it will take me about a day to explain why that's important so don't worry about it <laughs> but largely it's very unaffiliated with other titles in terms of its story and obviously it has pretty much no returning characters with the exception of chris right at the end who at that point didn't even have his DLC scenario if you bought the game uh, on release. Well, there was a teaser, wasn't there? Uh, um, like, yeah. Beat the game and Not Hero is coming soon at this arbitrary date it didn't meet. That's right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but Chris appears very briefly at the end, again, as we've sort of talked about, with a very different face. So that was has some negative reaction to it. But for me, I feel like the whole... Whilst it struggles to be connected to the grand narrative, I think that... It, it kind of helps it exceed because of it. Like it really excels on its own merit that way. It finds its own space in Resident Evil to exist. Um, and as Jordan said, a lot of the story stuff um, still hit those Resident Evil beats. You've got pursuer type enemies with lots of these Baker characters who are the stars of the game and they're fantastically voice acted, endlessly quotable already. Um, you've got like big crazy boss monsters near the end of the game, like the Jack final fight quote unquote just a ridiculous eyeball covered mess very resident evil uh, stuff like that you know and we talked about the gameplay a lot and i can't we talked about on the show resident evil is lots of different things to different people so i can't say this is or isn't resident evil it depends on how you feel what what makes resident evil if it's the characters and umbrella and stuff like that then that's fair enough but for me like you've got a huge list of stuff here that just is the resident evil formula and a lot of that's gameplay to be fair so like save rooms item boxes uh puzzles stupid keys 
uh, ammo and health conservation being a big part of the game, enemies that keep coming at you, um, a map, backtracking, exploration, claustrophobia, panic, and multiple endings, even if one of them is immediately uh, decreed this isn't the canon. Um, but yeah, I was just so happy with the overall package, personally. The emphasis on items is especially, um, and, and puzzles and stuff like that. What was refreshing was that it didn't feel like they were putting all of these things in out of the circumstance that it's a Resident Evil game. It mm. didn't feel like they were doing it for, well, this is a Resident Evil game, so you've got to have a crank. Right. It yeah. was more that they love the items and they mm. know we love the items. And they had developed a design and they developed a game and a narrative that made all of those items make sense right. and, and, exactly. and relevant. Like, you know, if you have like one of the more action-oriented games like Resident Evil 5 or Resident Evil 6 and you're, you're, you're trying to kind of stick puzzles in there, you're probably doing it because you know that it's something that is a part of the series, but not necessarily something that is, is needed because that's not the kind of game that it's trying to be. This, absolutely. Like, you know, that is that is when you bring back the patented shotgun trap room and and stuff like that mm -hmm. if the action-packed re7 that was apparently in planning stages come out it really would have just sort of felt very much like a foregone conclusion it would very much felt like well six uh resident Evil six exists ergo resident Evil seven exists let's just make a game whereas this feels like a lot more actual uh going back to the drawing board and thinking about mm. what resident evil is what resident evil should do next Yes, necessarily the story is very separate and perhaps in future we'll get to see it weaved back in because um, Resident Evil 4 suffered with all the same problems. I mean, it was a huge success and obviously many games in the series have taken on that gameplay style and moved forward, not just the gaming industry as well. Um, but when it came out, not only did it play super differently, it was very, very detached. Sure, it had Leon and Ada in it, um, but that's really all that there was. It's further games that have made that uh, a more integral part of the story and weaved it all in and stuff like that. And people and are going as far as not calling it a Resident Evil absolutely, game. Absolutely, yeah. They uh, at the time, they were, saying, they were saying, look, it's a great game, but it's not a Resident Evil game. Mm -hmm. And that still happens now, and that's why I mentioned it with Resident Evil 7. Obviously, people are entitled to that opinion. Um, there may be people out there that are listening to this that have completely the reverse opinion, and that's totally fine. Uh, but for me, I struggle to see how this isn't a Resident Evil game, just speaking. And I say, on a pure gameplay level, it is. The, the mechanics, the, the, the puzzles they use, the, the combination of items and stuff, the, that's, that's part of Resident Evil, the item management, as much as, like, you know, here's a scary zombie-like monster and blasting in its eyeball. Mm -hmm. And the unfolding mystery of the story and stuff like that, twists and turns and visiting new areas and all, all that all that good stuff. Um, so let's let's kind of wrap up with some uh, aesthetic talk. So talking about sound and graphics. Um, Jordan, how do you feel about the audio and the visual design of RE7? Well, as far as the the music, there's not a great deal of music. Mm -hmm. Although I would say that the, the themes that do come to me now. They're, obviously, they're not full-on songs, but they're very good. I, I think I think they, they suit the game perfectly fine. And I'm going to go out on a limb. This might be a surprise, may not. But I think this might be the game with my favorite save room music. 
I <laughs> I actually really liked the safe room uh, theme. I can agree with that because uh, immediately after the game came out, I set the save room theme as my alarm tone for my phone and I'm pretty sure it stayed that way for about two years. So yeah, heavy agree. I, I do love that piece of music. And to be fair also, yeah. since replaying it up till recording the podcast, I've been walking around singing Go Tell Out Roadie to myself. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's, got, it's got a nice sort of flavor to it as a, as a theme because it's very, it's very different from the other themes. But it also it really kind of sets the tone for where you are, um, and I, I think that that works great. Um, but obviously, there aren't that many songs in there, and it's largely atmospheric. As far as just sounds in particular, um, I would I, I would I would say that it, it, it's otherwise it's all right. There's, I, I think atmospherically. Lots of you know random sounds, random bangs, which are obviously intended to just you know, mess with you just to make you think maybe something's at the window or, or something like that. But I guess there's not much more I can say besides that. Fair enough. James, how did you feel about the visual and audio design? Uh, absolutely adored as, uh, as Jordan did the atmospherics that you get during the game. Uh, I love that. I'm become, I mean, you guys follow me on social media. I've become like a really hardcore kind of horror aficionado when it comes to rpgs and board games in particular with the alien rpg coming out and i love sound yeah in my dungeons and dragons games i use sound all the time and music and it's really it was really awesome to to hear all that the bangs and everything as well it was sweet and it scared me multiple times what was that steve what was that <laughs> what was that i don't want to move steve for some reason i don't want to move um but yeah uh the, also the game looks beautiful it looks so pretty um, like when I, and this sounds weird, but the time I realized how pretty the game was was when Mia was crawling up that staircase. <laughs> uh, when she was crawling up the staircase, I was like, the use of light mm. is so amazing, but then I was scared for my life. And then <laughs> I think I said to Steve, Am I gonna have to fight her? Am I gonna have to fight her? Um, straight immediately after that, but the thing that was going through my head initially was how pretty it was, and the mold looked disgusting, I didn't want to touch it. I, and then you'd be in entire corridors full of it. And I was like, oh, oh never mind, because we've got like a, a crazy hand that's been remolded um, onto us <laughs> anyway. Stable back on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely adored the look of it. Uh, it made me uncomfortable. And that's mm. what a, a good horror game, um, or, I mean, a good Resident Evil game should do. It should make you uncomfortable. And it did. And it wanted me to keep playing. Yeah, so that's my opinion. On the subject of lighting, actually, one of my notes here is atmosphere in buckets, lighting in spades. Uh, because, yeah, that's a fantastic part of the game um, in terms of contributing to the overall look and everything, stuff like that. Um, strange to think even that the opening to this game uses real-life footage, which uh, some really gorgeous stuff at the beginning there. Mm. Um, it does fall down a bit in places. Um, on a replay, I felt like... I mean, I always thought the hair physics were kind of weird and bad anyway, um, but some of the character models look a bit too uncanny valley for me now, which is something that, obviously, this is the first RE Engine game, so we've had some huge improvements already with uh, RE2 and RE3, and obviously Devil May Cry as well. Um, but still, yeah, overall, the game looks great. And on a final point, uh, I love some of the sound design, and I only really realised this recently when picking that shotgun out of the the 
busts arms in that puzzle, you're getting that nice little click uh, as it sort of rests in your wrists. Uh, every time you swap over to the shotgun, you get this nice, uh, I thought it was just like a hollow, like clicking sound, clacking. It did something very satisfying about some of the small noises it's, in this game. It's it's heavy and mechanical, and those kind of they, yeah, they it really feels worn and aged and stuff like that, which is cool. Steve, how do you feel about the visual and audio aspect of this game? Uh, when it comes to the actual music and soundtrack, that's the. I mean, we all touched on it a bit, but there's only like really two tracks that stick out: Saver and Music and Go Tell Aunt Rody for me. Mm. Uh, the rest is like either incidental stuff or bah bah bah, like dramatic stuff during the boss fight. <laughs> um, the monsters themselves, though, they sound like they've been twisted inside out and put back together again, and it's probably appropriate with their visuals. It's they're amazing. You know, the actual mold of themselves and the way that they're, like, in agony as they slumber around. The um, the guns, as we, we touched on, you know, there's always that cute little animation the first time you pick something up, even the uh, the broken shotgun and the uh, the pistol and whatnot. Uh, they're very nice and cool. I wish there was a bit more... Uh, there's lots of... I mean, there's lots of atmospheric sounds as it is anyway, but I wish they did more with that. You know, like hearing stuff shuffle around, like uh, Remake 2 showed us that just hearing Mr. X in the distance, for example. Mm. If, if the house sounded a little bit more alive. Um, but no, aesthetically, I mean, I've already touched on how similar it is to RE1. The, the building itself, while smaller, still reminded me of the like the desolate like nature of like Remake 1's mansion in places. Like it's, it's very dusty and mm. worn down. Um, it felt like I was coming home in, in a way. It does have uh, a very similar that, aesthetic when you, when, when you say it that way. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, that... That billiard room, you could you could easily take it and put mm. it in. You could take most of the rooms in this game and put them in the mansion somewhere. Uh, and that's part of the reason I think I still like it. The um, the only clunky thing I think I've already said about it really is the well, it's very throwbacky. You know mm. that it it does follow a formula that's you know it's great, but it's also a little bit too tried and tested. I suppose I don't know. They're, but yeah, I, d I don't like the lack of a soundtrack overall, though. That that that's kind of a it's a shame because uh, I think one of the standouts for most of the Resi games is the music, and it's there's still a little bit too understated for me. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. I feel like I've been overly negative on this podcast. I want to reiterate: RE7 is still in my like top five Resi games. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what um, happens when you like something, though. You have to like nitpick it. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. It's, since it's, you... it's cool. It's cool passion, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, though, when you mentioned the monsters, I only learned this today while making some notes. Uh, the photogrammetry, is that what it's called? Where they they like scan all the actors' faces in and use, use those as the character models. Uh, for the molded, they uh, scanned in a bunch of like rotting meat and just apply, applied that to character models. And that's why they look and, I guess, sound the way that they do. Oof, that's, that's awesome. Lovely. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Nemesis in Remake 3, can I just say, they actually made a Nemesis to do the same thing. <laughs> that scares me. Did, yes, they have to, did, they, did it have to be rotten meat? You know, like, could it not just be like, uh, you know, a bit out of date, you know, like Tesco dated reduced section? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, as far as like the face scanning, that you know, obviously there's some, some great face models. In it. I know there's, a bit of uncanny valley, but I think Lucas came across really well. Maybe it's just the way that they mocapped or animated him, um, but I think that came off really strongly. To be fair, I will just say one other thing about the visuals. It's worth noting that this game 
Um, it's clearly built to be a sort of adaptive as far as graphics. I mean, the presentation itself with the limited light does mean that it has the kind of fidelity that it can work as a full-on VR title. I think that was its biggest strength. That mm. It doesn't have to render everything because you kind of already have a limited view to begin with. But I did notice that there is a, a bit of popping in places. Yeah. Sometimes like the high-res textures don't always stream in when you need them, when you're up close to something. So that can kind of take a bit of the shimmer off it. But, you know, this game really does shine in places. Uh, you know, when it gets the lighting just right and all the details are there, it can look fantastic. I don't know what it looks like on PC, but I'm sure it looks um, just out of this world as far mm. as because they were going for photorealism. One last point um, on the subject, since you mentioned VR, um, I'm guessing you guys haven't had any VR experience with the game. Just Only me. secondhand. Yeah, I, I I played it briefly in VR um, sometime last year. Actually, I played the sort of like bit of the opening segment, um, and sort of for a game that I felt very confident in, you know how I knew what was going to happen and all this. Uh, it still scared the crap out of me, to be honest. Uh, I played the section with the Mia boss fight, actually specifically the the chainsaw fight at the beginning. So seeing her come through that, uh, like weird like wood thing and jumping down at me with a chainsaw not fun in vr as it turns out um extra not fun because it's quite hard to control um in order to stop motion sickness i guess it's kind of like you you don't rotate as a full circle there's no completely free movement you can strafe uh, forwards backwards left and right but as you turn it's done in sort of 35 degree increments or so uh which i found quite difficult um it's difficult to play fluidly. I imagine with more experience, you'd probably pick it up fine, but I feel like it would be a slower experience overall. But also just because it, it is terrifying. Um, I I don't know if I'd be interested to play the whole thing in VR. It was cool to be in that world, and it does look great. Uh, it does feel like you're there. Obviously, it's not super HD when you're in VR, but it, you do feel like you're in that world, which is fantastic, and you can really get up close to some stuff by leaning in and out. Uh, but I don't know if I want to play the whole game like that. It, partly I, I because it's scary like and partly because it's a chore. I'd, I'd like to do it because it's such an interesting experience. Mm. And like you said at the top, Jordan, like it's touted as the the one game that really pulled off VR uh, correctly from the start. So, yeah, so early it, it, it kind mm. of came along because uh, I mean, there were a lot of VR experiences, at least when it first you know, when PSVR first came out, that was, uh, it's a bit like when the Wii first came out. There were a lot of con conceptual things. There mm. weren't things that were full out experiences that you can play start to finish. But I mean, I I, uh, I haven't played Resident Evil 7 in VR, but I do own an Oculus Quest and I do play VR games. So I have, you know, some experience with that. Uh, the, the most engaging of which is uh, Vader Immortal, which is you know a fantastic VR game. That's that's obviously come a fair bit of time after mm. Resident Evil Seven, but it's another one of those kind of really legitimate reasons that VR gaming has a space now. And I'll say there is a moment in that because that is a first-person game that has its own um, ad, ad, you know adventure, it has its own story to it, and there is a moment where you are held captive by the Empire and Darth Vader walks into the room and you are seeing him as you're standing there. I, I, I don't know how tall Darth Vader is, but he's a tall guy, right? <laughs> and that's, that was scary. I, you're right, I'm, I'm a tall guy myself, but I had to look up to Darth Vader. And I just thought, you know what? That 
just just that is kind of scary because it's you you do get sucked into that world. So I kind of imagine what a a ten hour campaign in Resident Evil would be like with VR. I think I think I would have to take breaks just about every half an hour. But mm. I mean, my friend did it. I, I should ask him more about that experience. As far as the kind of like the fidelity of the graphics, from my own experience with kind of like extended periods with VR, you do kind of forget about it after a while. It's it's strange because at first you can't help but notice, you know, a slightly muddier image, and you know maybe you can kind of, you know, depending on the display, you can pick out the pixels and stuff like that. But after a while, your brain is just mm. tricked into believing exactly, that whatever yeah. you're seeing is real and in front of you. And I cannot believe. The the first real sort of core VR title that's kind of come out and produced a full uh, campaign is something that's so terrifying. I mean, <laughs> there are parts there are parts of the game where I was playing it that I was just thinking, I don't want to play this in VR. <laughs> I I don't want, especially like any time Jack just grabs you by the face mm. and turns you around. I don't want Jack's big hand just smacking me in the face and turning me around. I really. <laughs> I don't want to experience that kind of closeness. It's quite scary. But at the same time, that's the whole point. So Absolutely. It, it's a success on a lot of fronts, Resident Evil 7. It's worth saying it. as well, BB Mac in the chat says you can change the settings on VR to stop the angled turning. Perhaps I need to return to it then and have another go. Right. I'll, 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 uh, I'll report back with my findings. Our last little point, just to close this discussion out, we've gone kind of long, is uh, talking about the perspective just one last time. I actually asked this question to the entire Discord server, and I thought I'd get a really sort of mixed reaction, actually. I put up a poll. It said, do you think RE8 should and will continue the first-person perspective? And I gave four options. It should and it will. It should, but it won't. It shouldn't, but it will, and it shouldn't, and it won't. Unanimously, it should continue the first-person perspective, and it will continue the first-person perspective. Every single person voted that way, which is really interesting to me. And personally speaking, I hope you're right. I hope that they continue with this. Um, it would feel very strange if RE7 was just sort of left as this very disconnected game, story-wise and gameplay-wise. Uh, there's no reason you can't continue down this path and explore it more, and also, uh, yeah, use the over-the-shoulder in some other games as well. James, what do you think? RE8, first-person perspective, yes or no, and do you think it will happen? Uh, yes, please. Um, I love it because it's the first person is the scariest uh, perspective because you've got such a limited, restricted point of view, well, field of view. Um, and yeah, I think they'll carry on with it. I think they'll keep going with it. Um, yeah, so I really do hope they, they carry on with it. I love that. I love that that point of view when it comes to, mm -hmm. to horror games. And we can really make the most of it now with the technology, the technology that we have. Steve? First-person perspective, yay or nay in Resident Evil 8? Uh, definitely a yay. I mean, after it, I mean, we've already touched on it, but the fact that it's now a VR legacy, almost. It's um, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's the landmark. If you have VR, play this game in VR. Um, they, they can't squander that. They have to, I think they have to double down on it at least a little bit more. Uh, definitely. And plus, it's the only game I know of where you can have your chest literally bisected with a chainsaw in that kind of experience, which is kind of haunting, I have to be honest. <laughs> And I've seen characters die in horrible ways in Resi games. That's, that's up there. That's definitely up there. <laughs> Jordan, what do you think? First person perspective? Because you predict it in Remake 3. <laughs> do you think it'll come to yeah. RE8? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that was the way they were going to try and make me scared of Nemesis. Put it in first-person perspective. That would be quite <laughs> something. But um, no, it uh, it should continue and it will continue. Uh, I, I, the concepts were thrown out there, you know, to see how people would take to them. We know that at its core, it is still very much Resident Evil. So we know that part is safe. I kind of see it a bit like, you know, when you have a, like a, a game come up, like I say, it throws out it throws out the concept and you can go a little bit softer on it because you know something's coming up that is really going to properly realize that. Like, you know, if you get like Uncharted 1 coming out and it, it evolves into Uncharted 2, you know, Uncharted 1, it was maybe, it was not quite there. All the ideas were there, but then you get something like Uncharted 2 and it's a more complete package. I think that Capcom can do this with Resident Evil 7. I think they can maybe look at what worked Look at maybe the third act and maybe why that wasn't such a you know sucker punch as far as kind of like finishing it up gameplay wise as well as they did you know while you were still facing the bakers. Um, but I, I yeah I I think it's at least got maybe two or three more games in it and, and Resident Evil is the kind of series that is big enough to cater to at least two types of games mm-hmm. you know third person over the shoulder. And and first person, so yeah, I, I think there's def there's a market for it clearly, uh, you know. Um, mm. So uh, how much did it sell in the end? Seven point something million, according to that. There form, you go, that, and that's that Forbes article. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, sorry, six point eight million units apparently. Yeah, there you go, and it's probably not even counting the cloud for Nintendo Switch. So you know, <laughs> like that's that's, that's a big deal, but. Um, no, I, I really, I really hope to see uh, more of what they can, what they can do with this perspective, because what we've seen so far is really solid. Fantastic! I'm glad we're all in agreement, and uh, hopefully, Resident Evil soon, Resident Evil 8 will be out sooner than it perhaps appears, but we'll, 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 we'll find out, I guess. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at fasprayPod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server where you can discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at FASpraypod, on Instagram at FASpraypod, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash FA spray pod you can find the podcast on youtube stitcher spotify and itunes and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us an itunes review if you can it helps spread the word you can also support the show at patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod our next episode will mark a return to the ongoing adventures of alice in film club part two focusing on paul ws anderson's resident evil extinction and resident evil afterlife thank you to the panel you can follow us all individually I'm at Sinek underscore one, two, three. Steve is at Firebutton Games. Jordan is at Box 64 And James is at Moist Outlet OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Well, we're still at the, uh, was it one, two, three, four, five, we're six, seven, eight, ten. Nine, ten. We're almost at the original 11 um, <laughs> for the Resident Evil memes. Well, How uh, many members of Stars were there? Uh, oh, Stars. Um, let's see. Forest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Enrico, yes. uh, and then you've got. Ten. I think it's something like that. Um, oh crap! My brain's just going. Boo! Chris, Jill, Barry, <laughs> Albert. I feel like I've already said Jill. Brad. Um, Brad. Yeah, that's ten. Yeah. There's probably someone else I'm missing who's clearly integral and not at all like dead. Um, oh well. You know, you know, you know. People sometimes have those tests. Um, you know what they do if they. Say if they sustain something like a concussion or something like that. The questions that you ask yourself to make sure you know that everything's there in your head. Do you and I think I think them? I think we've just figured out what Steve's is. So. Steve, Steve, are you okay? Name the stars members for me, so I know you're okay. No, no, you don't even have to ask him. Like he, he just gets a knock on the head and he just starts naming them anyway. 